Hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is episode 183 and today is with one of the big guests that I've been kind of talking about for quite a while and today was a double header for incredible guests. I'm really really excited for you guys to listen to uh, what's coming up and the many amazing guests that are coming on and today was a big moment for myself. I've been trying to get Stacey on for quite a while and it's eventually happened and so today's guest is Dr. Stacey Sims. So Stacey is an applied researcher, innovator and entrepreneur in human performance, specifically in sex differences in training, nutrition and environmental conditions. Prior to being launched into industry, she served as an exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist at Stanford University from 2007 to 2012, where she specialized in sex differences with environmental and nutritional considerations for recovery, performance, especially in women's health and performance. Her unique ability to break things down and be able to explain the differences between a man and a woman, and she has an incredible TED talk, which is Women Are Not Small Men. And if you've downloaded the ebook, um, you will see that I've quoted her in that. Her, she has she's one of the biggest names and she has an incredible course on female health and she has a new course coming out on relation to kind of like post-menopause perimenopause menopause that side of stuff as well and she is a regularly published published author and you can be found her on google scholar she is regularly featured uh, speaker at professional academic conferences when we could including those hosted by u.s olympic committee high performance sport new zealand and usa cycling is a senior research associate at AUT University and lives over in New Zealand with her amazing family. And this is so, so helpful for an awful lot of people this episode. There's going to get myths out of it, buzz words out of it as well. And we talk about the industry, we talk about kind of the research for females, we talk about how to train, should we train fast and running should we kind of what the truth about fats fiber the importance of so many different things supplementation the truth about magnesium so many different things i hope you guys enjoy the episode with dr stacy sims stacy how are we oh pretty good how are you not too bad thank you very much so stacy i gave you a very brief intro um but i think it's gonna be a whopper intro because the amount of stuff that you've done and the ted talk and everything and the courses that you've created can you tell us how you kind of got into this this whole field because i know there's a big story behind it um it always starts with the selfish me right (laughs) but real realistically um i was on the rowing team at university and there were times when the men's boat would peak when the women wouldn't, even though we were following the same training program. And at the same time, I was in the ex-phys and metabolism undergraduate program and going through the metab labs and stuff. And I would ask the questions, well, what about women? Because I was trying to figure out what was going on with the rowing team and why we weren't performing as well as men at certain times. And I go, well, you know, we don't know. We just kind of throw women's data out as an anomaly or there's no difference. Women are just the same as men. And when you start really digging into it and trying to ask questions about it, you realize that everything is generalized to women, right down to recommendations for carbohydrate intake. And it's based on all male data, except for like amenorrheic women that have nothing to do with carbohydrate intake. Uh, So it really kind of got under my skin As, as someone who wanted to be a better athlete and help her teammates at the same time as being one of those 18 year old, I know it all. Oh, no, I don't know it all, but I want to find out all. Um, And so that was like the bee in the bonnet that started all the way back then and kind of pushed through having the opportunity to be both an academic and an athlete and be able to answer those questions as I progressed through my athletic career and my academic career. 
Do you think the information out there is improving, though? And do you think the kind of the stigma around kind of the female hormones and female cycles is improving? Sort of. Um, I'd say the past couple of years, we've seen some really good uptake. I think with the stories like the Mary Kane with the Nike um, story breaking and people starting to talk about low energy availability and red ass and people are really starting to understand that the period is a very important part of being a healthy female athlete. But then in the research world, uh, I still get so much pushback. Even two days ago, I was talking to a colleague who is doing research up here and he's posting studies all about men and someone asked, well, where are the women? And he's like, oh, we have other studies for women. So he posted another uh, recruitment, but it was just men and women. And so I was like, what, what are you doing? Just lumping the women in with the men? And he's like, well, you could look at it as men being lumped in with women. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Completely different viewpoint where you have to have a specific design for women and then you can include men but you can't do it the opposite because there's different things you have to understand and it's endemic like you know i'll review papers where they're still just throwing the women's data in with the men's and not separating it out or not controlling for sex hormones or menstrual cycle phase oral contraceptive pill use so there's still a long way to go in the research side of things but for the application and the knowledge that we do have, it's coming out in the application of things, which is great. And like I know the big, the big, big statement for yourself and your, your your TED talk was the title of "Women Are Not Small Men." Why is it so important for PTs and for nutritionists and for people to know to actually know this and what the difference between men and women really is? Can you kind of go through the the, the, re, the basics really, really quickly? Yeah. So I mean. From birth, there are sex differences. They identify a baby as XX or XY. And those genetic differences go right down into the skeletal muscle, where women are born with more of the protein for mitochondria for fatty acid metabolism. And there are sex differences in exercise metabolism as well, where men will go through carbohydrate and then start burning fat, but women will preferentially preferentially use fatty acid and then amino acid is when they start breaking down amino acid, it brings blood sugar up. So when you start looking at recommendations, they're only looking at the carbohydrate and then fat, but they're not looking at what women use. Uh, we're looking at lean mass development and training techniques. Again, there's there's differences in um, central nervous system firing, especially across the menstrual cycle phase, uh, which has impact on the load that you can lift and the stimulus for lean mass development. Women need a higher level of circulating leucine post-exercise than men because we need a higher amino acid pool to trigger the mTOR response from the brain down. And things like recovery between high-intensity sessions. Women are good with two high-intensity days in a row and then need recovery where men can do four high-intensity days in a row on average before they need recovery. But these protocols and the methodologies have all been based on male data and then applied to women and then women are like well why am i not getting fit why am i slowing down what's going on what am i doing wrong instead of looking at the techniques and going wait a second it's not based on the physiology it's not based on the fact that i can push really hard in the low hormone phase of my menstrual cycle and then i need to kind of deload the week or so before my period starts and how important has it been for you to kind of talk about kind of tracking your cycle? Because I don't think from coaching clients, it's the first thing that when I on the questionnaire, it's kind of like, where are you at it? Or do you notice the trend of kind of when you're kind of feeling fatigued or feeling able to kind of take on the world or whatever it may be? 
How important has it been for you to push that and have seen a shift for people tracking the cycles a little bit more? And would you recommend any apps in particular? Yeah, uh, I think it's really important for women to track, not necessarily because, well, I shouldn't say not necessarily. One, it will help you improve your performance because you'll have the ability to push hard when your body's resilient to stress and to work with things like the immune system that changes across the menstrual cycle too, where when you get into the high hormone phase, you have more pro-inflammatory responses, which then has effects on adaptation. So again, that's you want to deload. So being able to pinpoint when you can go hard or when you need to back off is one of the main reasons for tracking. But the other really important reason to track menstrual cycle is to make sure that you don't get irregularities. If you start getting longer and shorter cycles, it's a sign that you're not adapting, that something's going on with your endocrine system. It could be low energy availability. It could be poor nutrient timing. So you stay in a breakdown state for a longer period of time. And it's kind of like the red flag that comes up and says, hey, wait a second, we need to back off or reassess what kind of training we're doing. Otherwise, you'll, you're going to tip into this big uh, overtrained state or overreach state that you're not going to be able to come back from. Men don't have that because they don't have a menstrual cycle. So, you know, it's an advantage in one to be able to keep tabs on if you're adapting to training and two, to be able to manipulate your training around the menstrual cycle perturbations to be able to go really hard and hit those PRs and then know when to back it down. You mentioned kind of hit style training and that seems to be the one to go for, for I think girls in particular, I know lads do it too and I know I've done it. Is there a particular phase to kind of try to reduce it? I know every girl will be different, but in, in the vast majority of the research that you've seen so far, is there a time of the month that would probably be better for HIIT style training over others? Yeah, so just a brief biology review, right? So we say day one is the first day of bleeding, and day 28 is the last day of your cycle. So day one to around day 10 is technically the low hormone follicular phase, where estrogen and progesterone are really low. And this is when your body can access carbohydrate better. You have uh, better resistance to central nervous system fatigue. Your core temperature is lower. You have a greater stimulus for lean mass development. You have better recovery because the muscle enzymes respond faster. You have faster neuromuscular um, transmission or contraction. So that's the time to go hard. Then around day 13, you have ovulation. And right before that is an estrogen surge. And estrogen in itself is is uh, anabolic. So in the gym, you can hit it hard and get another stimulus for lean mass development. But after ovulation, you have estrogen, progesterone that start to rise. This is called the luteal phase. And they peak around four days before your period starts again. And this is where your body is least able to handle that high intensity. We can't access carbohydrate very well. Our body has a preferential um, get us moved towards using free fatty acids from estrogen. Progesterone is very catabolic, so it breaks down lean mass. Core temperature is up. Estrogen crosses the blood-brain barrier, so you feel more fatigued. You have less of your mojo. So it's really hard to hit those high intensities. And this is where we say, okay, you should work on technique. You should work on um, running drills, swimming drills, whatever kind of drills and functional movement to work with your body to then recover a bit and absorb the hard training you had in the previous three weeks before you hit it hard again. 
You've mentioned about recovery, and I think this is one of the most underestimated things and undervalued things, especially, I think, during this weird time, or hopefully we're coming out of it now, but I think a lot of people have kind of tried to exercise their way out of COVID. And you talk about training harder, but recovering even harder. Can you kind of yep. expand on this a little bit more? I think it applies to both sexes, but <laughs> both, as well. yeah. Um, so the misconception is you get fitter while you are training. And so many people are like, I'm going to go train really hard. I'm going to get super fit. But that's not where you get fitter. You get fitter in the recovery. And so many people neglect it. Now, what is it? It's like training in itself is a fasted, strong stress where your body's like, hey, wait a second. I'm using up all this fuel. I'm breaking down tissue. I'm releasing all these hormones that cause my heart rate to go up, cortisol to go up, all these things that are like that, oh my gosh, I'm going to die kind of thing. And the stronger that stress is, the more your body needs to understand it and overcome it. And that's recovery. So if you're not fueling appropriately post-exercise, if you're not doing you know, things like cold water immersion for women, not so much for men, um, taking some time for just that parasympathetic activation. So you're compromising your recovery. You're compromising your ability for adaptation. fitness. So when we talk about recovery, it's that acute time right after each training session, but then over the course of the week, over the course of the month, where are you putting these blocks in to really deload and really absorb that hard training in order to recover properly to then get to the next level of fitness? And kind of talking about kind of improving fitness and so running has been a massive thing that I've seen. Even if I look out the window now, I'll probably see people running past my window in a sec. Do Is it better for women to run fasted or is it better to have some sort of either fats or carbohydrates or one of the macros in their bodies before they kind of go out or is it dependent? Uh, so when we're looking at a fuel depletion, which running is, you definitely need some food. For men, they can get away with acid training, but for women, no way. And the reason for that is there are two areas in the hypothalamus um, in women that are neurons called kisspeptin that are very, very sensitive to carbohydrate and nutrient intake. Men only have one. So when we're talking about threshold of sensitivity for food intake versus stress, women need food in order to be able to perform and not get into a significant breakdown state, which causes your resting metabolic rate to go down, causes muscle um, to be broken down, bone stress reactions, and that lead into red S. And four days after fasted training, like if you do fast training four days in a row, you have this impetus of your metabolic rate is going down, and you get thyroid dysfunction. So with men, it doesn't happen that way. Women always eat before you go out. And I'm not saying a big meal. It could be a half a banana. It could be a piece of toast. Uh, it could be a protein fortified coffee, which is cold brew, protein powder, and some um, milk alternative. So it's not a large amount, but it's enough to bring blood sugar up and signal to the body that, hey, yeah, nutrient nutrition is here. We have some calories coming in. It's okay to go ahead and do this stressful thing that's coming up. And then you have your real meal after as your main source and is that for weight training and for running or is it just for the kind of the running side of things? Um, if you're doing weight training first thing in the morning and you haven't had anything, it's ideal to have something. Um, if you're doing your weight training in like at noon, but you had breakfast and maybe you had morning tea. So it's been a few hours since you last ate, that's fine because it's not fuel depleting. It's more that neuromuscular stem. 
Um, but if you were going to go for a, a lunchtime run, you need to have a snack beforehand. And it has to do with the metabolic cascade of getting really fuel depleting versus that strong neuromuscular stimulus of resistance training. How would you deal with the whole answer back of, I prefer to train fasted or I'm, I'm, my stomach doesn't wake up early enough? To I know, I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time. That's why I'm like, well, do you drink coffee? Then we go with their protein fortified coffee. Um, I have another friend here who absolutely hates fruit and she doesn't like to swim with something in her stomach. And now she finally is eating a half a piece of toast with a smushed banana on top. And it sits well. It's just taken her some time to get used to the idea. So first we started with protein coffee. Then we started with half a piece of toast, not the coffee. And then she's like, I kind of want something on it. I don't really like jam. Maybe I'll try a banana. But it's really small. Like might be a, less than 100 calories. And by the time she gets to the pool, it's pretty much out of the stomach, ready to go within half an hour. Amazing. I think one of the big things that's kind of coming up in the media and I think on social media anyway is all these very, very silly gimmicks for dieting industry. And I know you're very passionate about this is relation to diet trends and why they need to stop. So I'm going to let you go off on your tangent and your rant here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> I can, but I'll hold myself in. <laughs> Work away. Just let loose. Let loose. Okay, so the diet trends. Um, the supplement industry is $147 billion right now. And it had an uptick during COVID because everyone's looking for the right thing to make them healthy. And in that hole is the diet trend, right? So you see all these different things to support thyroid, to fat burn. And then you have things like intermittent fasting, the ketogenic diet. Paleo is not quite so in vogue at the moment. Um, and then you have the low carb, high fat stuff, right? And we look at the origins of the diet and they have all originated from the clinical population. So we're looking at obese sedentary men or obese sedentary women with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, they need to lose weight quickly. So they get put on intermittent fasting or the ketogenic diet or low carb, high fat to help them lose weight rapidly before they have to have surgery or to prevent them going on medication. But then the great social media and fitness world of media with all their, um, lovely ways of hyping thing have pulled it from the clinical into the fitness world. And the one big issue that isn't discussed is the fact that those people where those diets originated did not exercise. When you pull it into the health and fitness world and people are exercising as well as following these diets, it's a completely different ballgame. And the fact that when you're exercising, like I said earlier, that in itself is a fasted state. You look at the longevity um, data from exercise, it supersedes that of intermittent fasting. So if you're trying to get all the benefits of intermittent fasting, of telomere length, autophagy, um, body composition changes, exercise, because that is a stronger stimulus than intermittent fasting. We look at the ketogenic and the low-carb high-fat. Again, it works in men, but it doesn't work in women. Because if we go back to what I was talking about earlier in the show, women are already predisposed to burning more free fatty acids. Women are already at their max fatty acid oxidation capacity. And these diets are designed to improve that. So when women go on it, their body's like, wait a second, I'm just going to end up storing more fat, especially the cereal fat, because they, there's no mechanism to improve fatty acid utilization. 
Um, and so when we start looking at it and looking at the data that comes from it, the outcomes of women on the ketogenic diet or the low carb, high fat diet is they don't have the same body composition change. They end up up with more lethargy, they end up with more visceral fat, and they end up with altered sex hormones. And this has to do with that cispeptin gene I was talking about in the neurons in the brain. And when you add exercise into that as well, it's not the appropriate fuel for exercising for women. But for men, because the sensitivity of uh, carbohydrate intake is not as sensitive as it is in women, and their body has to learn how to preferentially use fat, then those diets work. But when we come back down to that sex difference in these diet trends, most of the data is on men. And I know there's so many women like, oh, I do intermittent fasting, it's worked for me. I do ketogenic, it's worked for me, maybe for three months. But when you actually look down into the data, the outcomes for women are really poor. And the fitness industry keeps pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And I see so many people that come in and say, I don't know what's going on. My partner and I are doing the same diet. We're doing the ketogenic diet. I'm getting fatter and tired and he's leaning up and getting fast. What is going on? Am I doing it wrong? And it's like, well, actually, no, you need carbohydrate. So, end mm. rant. <laughs> end rant. Do you think the industry <laughs> will ever be regulated though? No, Never. I don't. No, I think it's um, because each country is different. Yeah. So there are different rules and regulations for each country, and it's just too hard to regulate it, even right down to who can be called a nutritionist versus a dietitian. Different rules in each state in the U.S., and there are different rules between each country in, in Europe. So and even down here in New Zealand and Australia, there are different rules and regulations. And people are always finding loopholes around it. So I don't think there will be any tight regulation at any point i think yeah i can't say it in our lifetime anyway definitely not no you mentioned you've mentioned carbs an awful lot and i think this is those that word that four letter word or five letter word, four word, letter word. uh is one of those things that i think girls in particular are kind of scared of i know do you think it's improving or do you think it's actually going to get before it's going to get worse i think we're now seeing a double bell curve or yeah. you have those that are on one side that are still so afraid of sugar, like they'll rock up to sports products and they're looking for the artificial sugars because they don't want sugar. And it's like, wait a second, if there's any time that your body can use sugar, it's during exercise or right after exercise. There's no need to have mannitol in a sports drink. And then you have other people on the other extreme, they've gone through the no carb thing and they've rebounded and they're like, I love carbs. Carbs make me feel good. And then there's the hole in the middle where the people are kind of half and half. And it's the swing. And the more that people are getting false information or not really digging into it, the more this divide is going to happen. Is there a better type of carb or is a particular type of carb that would be better for girls at a particular stage of the cycle? Um, not necessarily particular stages of the cycle, but definitely particular stages of life. Um, as women get into their late 40s, early 50s in that perimenopause state, um, they become very insulin resistant. So this is where we want to look at more of the complex carbohydrates, fruits, veg, whole grains, um, and less of the white rice, white pasta, um, breads, and those kinds of things, unless it is specifically right after exercise. Now, for the naturally cycling premenopausal woman, 
And we know that your body's more attuned to using carbohydrate in that low hormone phase. So this is where you can have more of the refined carbs, especially after training. And then in the high hormone phase, you want to look more from your um, whole grains and fruits and veggies. And how does, as you've spoken about kind of, as you kind of get over the perimenopause and menopause kind of coming in, how would the training kind of differ kind of going as you kind of get older? Like how, obviously the body will take a lot longer to recover, but is there a particular style of training that will probably be better for someone kind of going into that stage of life? Yeah, uh, there's so many women in their early 40s are like, I don't know what's going on. What I did three years ago isn't working for me now. I'm like squishy, I'm not recovering, I'm not sleeping. That's because the hormones are starting to change. And we know that estrogen and progesterone affect every cell of the body. So when those hormone ratios start to change, the effect on the body starts to change. So we don't have as much parasympathetic responses. We get anxious, depressed. We get into the sympathetic drive with progesterone dropping off. <laughs> progesterone is also responsible for blood sugar control. And putting uh, like or putting glucose back into the liver and the muscle for glycogen. Estrogen is anabolic, so if we have a drop off in estrogen, we can't build lean mass. So we're talking about what kind of training we need to do. We need to look at training and nutrition to take the place of what these hormones used to do for us. So we have to have very polarized training. We need that top top end high intensity like sprint interval training with a really really low 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 end recovery. And you can have it in one day and have it. Um, hit type work where it's really polarized or you can do heavy lifting one day and super 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 easy 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 recovery run the next day but that middle bit where so many people stay in that moderate intensity zone is like death to the perimenopausal woman because it it increases cortisol it increases the stimulus for visceral fat gain Uh, it doesn't do anything for lean mass development and most of the time when people are in that moderate intensity zone, they're not necessarily doing multi-planar type jumping and jump training because that's too high intensity. So they end up not having enough stimulus bone development either. And I, I, get frust- I get frustrated with that. Just 150 minutes of moderate activity a week and you'll be fine. I'm like that's the exact opposite of what someone's doing when they're having these hormones. I think what the other the other stigma is that if they start lifting weights, they'll get bulky, and I think that's the other one that kind of. If I, I think that's the reason I've lost my hair, it's the, the amount of myths that are out and the amount of bullshit that's <laughs> out there. Um, what are kind of your go to supplements for kind of girls? Because I know one of the big ones out there, and I think I get questions on a daily basis, is regarding the one the big one, which is the creatine, and yeah. how how important that actually is rather than negative for someone. Can you kind of go into a little bit more of the research and how much to take and when to take it, all that kind of stuff. So we have the typical creatine loading that we see all across the board, and that's not appropriate for women. We want a small dose every day, and we're looking at you know maybe one gram at the most a day. Um, and part of it is it helps with everything, including neuroprotectiveness. So if you're having any kind of cognitive issues, which happens as you get older or it's sleep deprived, the creatine really, really helps. The other thing it does is it helps with hormone control because the metabolism of the creatine within the deep gut also helps with butyrate development, which helps with that whole brain-gut axis. Um, so it's more than just what's happening within the muscle. It's what is it doing from a total system aspect of, in the body. So it's one of those things that women should really be looking to take. 
The other big one that I often get is iron and iron deficiency. And people are like, oh, I take an iron supplement and nothing's happening. And you have to look at the menstrual cycle and the way that hepcidin works. So hepcidin is an enzyme that is produced by the liver. And when you have inflammation, it's upregulated. So during exercise, you have inflammation, hepcidin is upregulated. Uh, if you're chronically stressed, it's upregulated. And what happens is it inhibits the, the gut's ability to absorb iron. So when we're looking at iron supplementation, just by the nature of survival, we have very low levels of hepcidin in the menstrual phase, so day one through to ovulation. So if you're low in iron, this is the time to take supplements every other day. Take iron supplement every other day in the first two weeks of your cycle. After ovulation, you have an uptick of hepcidin responses because you have a pro-inflammatory response from the immune system um, because the whole menstrual cycle is based on an inflammation response. So in the high hormone phase, with this upregulation of inflammation, you can't really absorb iron that well. So if you are on the cusp of having iron deficiency or low ferritin, you either get an iron infusion to bypass the whole gut or you're supplementing every other day in the morning with iron in the low hormone phase. Amazing. And the one macro that we probably haven't really spoken about is the, the impact of fats. Because I think for a very long time, I think all macros have had some stigma attached to them at some stage in their lives. And I think fats is one of those that I don't think a lot of women realize how important it is for their actual bodies and their hormone health, really. Can you kind of talk right. about it? And what ones like, are there, I know what the answer is, but I'm going to let you talk about it, about kind of like, is there anyone in particular to try and reduce? Not take out, reduce. Just reduce, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a, I don't really want to say this, but I will anyway. I'm not a big coconut oil fan, not a big medium chain acid Bandle. fan, right? And so, so many people are like, oh, coconut oil. I'm like, well, actually in moderation, maybe. But we do want to increase our omega-3 fatty acids, right? So you're looking at your walnuts, your flax seeds, all of those things, because they help with this inflammation factor. So a lot of women have a lot of bad PMS, and again, that inflammation factor. But if you have an increased amount of omega-3s, then it... Uh, down-regulate some of the prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are part of the immune system response, causes the bloating and the, um, the malaise that a lot of women get with PMS. So up those omega-3s, especially in the 10 days before your period starts, to down-regulate that PMS symptomology. When we're looking at total fat intake, you need fat because fat helps protein, it helps carbohydrate, all digest and work well. We also need fat to help our deep gut because butyrate and um, fatty acids are very essential for so many hormone um, aspects that are produced from that gut bacteria. So if you're afraid of fat and you're also um, taking in refined carbohydrates through sport nutrition bars and so many of the sports food, you do a lot of damage to that microbiome. And part of being healthy is having a really good gut because of so many things we're still learning about how it affects mood, immune system, hormone production, menstrual cycle, uh, length and, and health quality. So yeah, fats are good. That's a class. Uh, and then I think you mentioned there about the gut. I think the last question I'll ask you before we kind of go on to more information about your courses and stuff is in relation to fiber and how important it is 
in, in, in kind of good health. And I think a lot of people are neglecting it and they're kind of reaching for stuff as they normally would, the kind of the gimmicky stuff before they actually talk about the basics, which we're taught as a kid, of how right. important fiber is, the fruit is, the veggies are, particularly for girls around particular times of the month in order to kind of help digest and get rid of the, 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 the excess estrogen and stuff. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, so cruciferous vegetables are super, super important um, because they have a compound in them that helps with estrogen metabolism. So if you are someone who has really bad PMS symptoms, heavy bleeding, women who have endometriosis, PCOS, lots of cruciferous vegetables really, really help. You can buy the supplement DEM, but it's better to eat the fiber also that comes with the cruciferous vegetables first. Um, and then a lot of people are like, oh, I'll take probiotics and that'll help with everything. It's like, no, that's just the upper gut and it doesn't do anything. We need prebiotics for the deep gut. And how do you get that? Through fiber foods. So if you're eating a low fiber diet or lots of the you know, quick hit sports foods, added chicory root, it's not the same as eating good fruit and veg because the fiber from the fruit and, fruit and veg is what feeds that deep gut bacteria super important how important is kind of like the likes of magnesium and stuff as well to kind of help with cravings uh, most of western society is low in magnesium and the body uses more magnesium and zinc building the tissue the uterine lining tissue and the high hormone base to become lower in it so if you're looking at do i need a supplement yeah eating more magnesium rich foods definitely using an over-the-counter supplement only if your blood levels show that you're low in magnesium. They're really focusing on even a quarter cup of pumpkin seeds during the high hormone phase of the day. So you're sprinkling on your salad, right? Or putting in your smoothies. Same with chia seeds, extra boost of fiber, protein, and magnesium. And all of that goes so far in helping with that inflammation, with the um, severe cramping, heavy bleeding, and just helps with gut microbiome too. Amazing. There's like, there's so much in there. I really hope someone's listened to the kind of like, especially the no nonsense approaches around foods and no foods are bad and the carb stuff. Uh, where can people find out about the amazing TED talk that you did? Uh, where can people find out about your courses? Uh, particularly PTs, I would highly recommend going to Stacey's courses. They're incredible. Oh, thanks, ma'am. Um, now that the website's all ready to go, it's all on the drstacysims.com website. So we have a media page now that lists like the TED Talk and some of the other things that I've done and some, um, all the different media clips and things. And then the courses are on the front page. So we have the Women Are Not Small Men, that's for across the lifespan. And then we have Menopause for Athletes, which is really focusing on that peri and, and post-menopause group set. We're starting to roll out some mini courses. So we just did one on protein, like how to read a protein label and what you're looking for and how to use it. Uh, we're going to get some into adaptogens. We're doing a youth course. So all the questions I get, I'm trying to assimilate them all to be able to give it back out to the wider community to, again, empower our women. And that's incredible. It's a, it's a massive credit to yourself for the amount of information that you do put out. And I think now that you'll have it in one place, you'll be like, here's the link. Go for it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. But uh, Stacey, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and giving so much of your time uh, for coming on. Guys, it, the, the links are going to be in the show notes for you guys. If you want to sign up to Stacey's, watch the TED Talks, sign up for the courses and, uh, and give her a follow. The information is invaluable. So thank you so much for coming on, Stacey. Oh, thanks for having me.